The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Welcome this hot and somewhat humid but bright and delightful Sunday morning here to the nave of Marsh Chapel at Boston University. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as university chaplain for community life. I bear greetings on behalf of our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away in these summer weeks. We bear a special greeting this morning to our guest preacher, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Chapin Garner, who is an adjunct instructor in homiletics and pastoral ministry next door at the School of Theology and senior minister at the Congregational Church of New Canaan in Connecticut. We hope you will follow, join us following the service for our fellowship time downstairs and an opportunity to grow together in community. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is my help and salvation. All the world here, now to His temple draw near, join me in glad adoration. Let the 
Let us pray. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Behold a broken world, we pray, where want and war increase. Our world is broken, and we are broken too, and so we gather this morning in prayer and faithfulness to confess our sins, repent, and turn to God as the choir sings our Kyrie. Awake, O sleeper, rise from death, and Christ shall give you light. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. The, uh, the warmth of your fellowship here is palpable this morning. It's good to, good to be with you all. Uh, I want to Uh, draw primarily from the Old Testament reading for the message this morning, and I want to expand it a little bit beyond what you have printed in your bulletin. So if you'd uh, follow along, we're going to look in Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to go verse 1 through uh, 6, and then we'll jump to chapter 4. So as the story goes, and I know you're familiar with this one, it says, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. 
Moses looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, you know, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. Then the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see. And God called out to him from the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. God said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God said, further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, what follows after this, as you know, is, is God lets Moses know that he is preparing, God is preparing to free the Israelite slaves in Egypt, and, and Moses is going to be the spokesperson. Then uh, Moses offers some objections to that deal, four objections, which I'll mention in a little bit. Uh, but then God takes a hard line, and Moses and his family pack up their belongings and head back to Egypt. And then this is what follows. Chapter 4, verse 24. This is a passage of scripture we don't often read in church. It says, on the way, that means the way back to Egypt, at the place where they had spent the night, that's Moses and his family, the Lord met Moses and tried to kill him. And Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched that to Moses' feet and said, truly, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So God let Moses alone. It was then that Zipporah said, a bridegroom of blood by circumcision. The word of God for the people of God. Amen.
Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 29 with the Antiphon. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of the God of glory thunders, the Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all say, Glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 to 44. Glory to you, O Lord. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So some uplifting scriptures this morning, right? Uh, I was told that these uh, summer services at Marsh Chapel are supposed to focus on the beloved community uh, that the Gospel of John gives voice to and that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. so eloquently espoused in his life and ministry. Uh, It was that radical idea that a global community could be founded on love And that community could go out into the world and seek justice for everyone. I'll tell you, it seems uh, like we could use a community like that uh, more than ever today. Uh, But, you know, I've been thinking about it, and the beloved community, the beloved community, just the, the naming of it, at least to my ear, can sound just a little bit tame, 
Uh, and, and, you know, uh, when I think that the beloved community is supposed to be our community, I also know that this beloved community can be a bit insular. You know, we're, we're all about love here. We're all about love here as long as you believe as we believe. If not, you might not be loved by us for long. So uh, this week and next week, I'm going to focus on the beloved community, but I want to particularly focus on the wild and crazy God that our beloved community gathers around. And then next week, I want to focus on the wild and crazy world in which our community makes its home. And to do that, uh, this week and next, I want to share with you a couple of scriptures that you don't probably hear all that often. They're scriptures as a church we tend to ignore because they trouble us. Uh, uh, and so that's what we're going to go with. And I read at least one of them for you this morning. So, so before we start going and getting all beloved, let's, let's take a moment and deal with some of the harsh realities of the Bible from which this idea of a beloved community first sprung. And so what I want to do is begin with kind of a, a recap of Moses' story, even though I know you know it well. Um, and I want to highlight some of the key moments that led Moses back to Egypt uh, to negotiate with Pharaoh on God's behalf the release of the Hebrew slaves. Uh, it begins, as you know, with that story of Moses' mother floating about into the Nile River in a desperate attempt to, to have kind of uh, get away from and save her son from Pharaoh's campaign of genocide. That, that portion of Moses' story, as you remember, ends with Pharaoh's own daughter finding Moses and, and then inexplicably raising Moses in Pharaoh's own household as Pharaoh's own grandson. The story continued when Moses was a young man. He, as you know, killed an Egyptian who was mistreating a Hebrew slave, and, and as a result, he had to flee the country of Egypt. Moses then made his home in the country of Midian. He had a wife. He had some kids. He was tending his father-in-law's flocks. And then came the famous burning bush incident, which we read earlier. We're told Moses was in the fields, and he saw this, this bur- bush just kind of burst into flames, and, and he went to get a closer look. And, and as Moses edged ever closer to the bush, God said, essentially, back off. Back off. It says, come no closer. Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, Moses, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And then right after that, God lets uh, Moses know that God is getting ready to free the Israelite slaves. And lucky Moses, lucky Moses, he has been chosen to be God's official emissary to Pharaoh. And and that's when Moses starts uh, uh, making all these objections. And and as far as I can tell, there's four objections that Moses makes. The the, the first one is is Moses asks right after he hears that, he says, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, who am I? Who am I to go talk to Pharaoh? I'm nobody. To which God says, don't worry, I will be with you. Second objection. Moses says, that's great, but who on earth are you? You know, uh, uh, you know who, who are you anyway? If I go to the Israelites, who do I say sent me to, to these people? And, and God said, and this is famous, you know this. God said, I am who I am. You just go tell those people that I am sent me to you. If you're kind of looking for a contemporary translation, this is, this is God saying to Mo- Moses, none of your darn business. We are not going to be on a first name basis with each other. 
Moses' third objection was just, okay, so I say all that, no one's going to believe me. No one's going to believe that God and I are working together. And so God says, okay, give you a few tricks to show what the Hebrew people. First thing, take that handy staff you've always got, throw it down on the ground, it'll turn into a snake, and then you pick that deadly snake up by the tail and become your staff again. If that doesn't work, don't worry about it. Take your hand, uh, place it in your cloak, pull it out, you'll have leprosy. Scare everybody to death, and then you put it back in your cloak, pull it out, it'll be clean again. And if that doesn't work, Moses, just take some of that Nile River water, throw it on the ground, and it will become like, uh, like blood. Now, that apparently wasn't good enough, because Moses objected one final time, saying that, you know what, this is all well and good, but I'm not a particularly effective public speaker. I'm not as eloquent as I should be for this role. And God, if you read this part, God kind of snaps. God gets annoyed and says, okay, enough. Enough. Take your brother Aaron. He's a, he's a fine public speaker. Take him. Uh, he'll help you out. Now go back to Egypt and start negotiating with Pharaoh. So at that point, everything seems settled. The working arrangement, the contract details have been ironed out. So Moses and his family pack up their belongings. They start heading to Egypt. Uh, they travel all through the day, and then it's nightfall. And that is when we find, in the dead of night... God decided to kill Moses. That's what it said. We read it together. God decided to kill Moses. And, and, and Moses was only saved because his wife's quick thinking. Zephorah goes, I know what to do. Let's circumcise our son. I'll take his foreskin. I'll, I'll touch Moses with it and all will be well. And apparently that's what saves Moses. Uh, this is not a beloved story. It's a rather bizarre story, which is why we don't, we don't share it often in, in communities like ours. You know, if you look at the way the divine presence is revealed in Moses' story, you, you might begin to pick up on a, a less than subtle theme. Just follow me here for a moment. Uh, God appears as a burning fire. God uh, is unwilling to exchange names and get all buddy-buddy with Moses. And the three miracles that were meant to be proofs that God and Moses are working together, a deadly snake, the appearance of a deadly disease, and and deadly river water. And then finally we read this, this strange story where God is guilty of attempted murder. So fire, snakes, leprosy, blood, murder. In these stories, God is portrayed, the divine presence is portrayed as really dangerous really quite dangerous. And the appropriate response, you know this, the appropriate response when you're confronted with fire or with a deadly snake or or with disease or with polluted water, if if you encounter someone in a murderous rage, the, the, the best thing to do is back off. Keep a safe distance, which of course is exactly what God first said to Moses. Back off. Come no closer. It's dangerous here. See, in these stories, God is wild and unpredictable and dangerous. If you approach God, you do so at your own risk and perhaps at your own peril. Now, before you get all disturbed about this portrayal of God, that it is not the portrait of the loving God of our beloved community, I I want you to remember, remember how this Bible of ours was constructed We believe this is a divinely inspired book that was written by very human authors. 
This book has been uh, kind of co-authored in a sense. Uh, it, it is Holy Spirit inspired and human being transcribed. This book is, is therefore very human and it is also divine and it chronicles through history, it chronicles the evolving understanding of the relationship between God and God's people, between God and God's world. Now, as Christians, we do believe, we believe that Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of God in the world, and, and Jesus revealed God indeed to be ultimately loving in nature. And whereas people did once thought God as, as volatile and angry and wild, We've come to believe that God is gentle and careful and loving. See, that means that the depiction of God in the book of Exodus is not an exhaustive portrait, in case you were concerned about that. But, and this is the thing I want you to get this morning, I want to suggest that the images of God that we get in Moses' story can be very instructive. And I think they are an important corrective to the way we often envision God. See, I, I, I've come to the belief, uh, maybe you have too, but I've come to believe, believe that we have gotten into the habit of domesticating God. Uh, we may have been created in God's image, but we routinely refashion, recreate God in an image that's pleasing to us. We, we often treat God as if God were our pet. And we kind of let God play in our lives when it's convenient for us, but when we're too busy to be bothered, we, we kind of try to put God back into whatever cage we fashioned for God. I mean, what, what child, what child hasn't noticed that, that God spelled backwards is dog, right? You know, uh, we often treat our relationship with God as if God exists primarily for our pleasure and our wish fulfillment. Kind of like a, a, a hybrid of the, the friendly, loving golden retriever and the genie in the bottle who promises us three wishes. And whether, whether you think about it or not, we act. We act as if we want God to be a God who tells us that we're good people and that we believe the right things and that our politics are correct and that our treatment of others is justified. We we act as if we want a God who affirms our choices and confirms our biases. It's kind of it's kind of the way we choose a church. If you if you've thought about it, I mean, uh, I'm going to bet that most of you are here because you like this place. You know, to some degree, it matches well with your personal preferences. Uh, you like the music. You love the music. In fact, uh, you may love the space. You. You may resonate with the message to some degree. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't choose. I'm going to bet you didn't choose this community because it challenges you at every turn and makes you uncomfortable any more than you enter into a relationship with God and Jesus Christ so that you can be frightened to death. See, I, I think we act as if we prefer a domesticated image of God. You know, I think we want to we wanna think of ourselves as beloved whether or not we, we deserve that kind of affection. But we think, at least we think, uh, that we would like to have a personal and friendly relationship with Jesus. We think that might be a good idea. And, and, and we'd like to be, we think at least, we'd like to be on a first-name basis with our Creator. You know that, that, that worn-out old joke about God's first name? 
Uh, warm up, I'm asking you a question now. Who, who knows God's first name? Andrew. Did you say Andrew? Absolutely right. Thank you. The last time, I, I, no one seems to know this anymore. It's, it's Andrew, or Andy for short. And we know that because of the beloved hymn in the garden, and I apologize for singing right now, choir. But it goes, Andy walks with me, Andy talks with me, Andy tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. You don't have to applaud, that's okay. I mean, like Moses, like Moses wanting to know God's name, we, we desire for God to be our pal, not our God. We want to be loved by God, so we prefer imagining God as, as infinitely and unfailingly affectionate. Uh, when I was here at seminary at, at Boston University uh, far too many years ago now, um, I had the privilege of hearing the Dr. Elie Wiesel give lectures on occasion. Uh, as you know, Dr. Wiesel lost uh, most of his family of origin in the Holocaust and, and barely escaped the grip of death himself. But as far as I could tell, I could be wrong about this, but as far as I could tell from his lectures, he didn't entirely lose his faith even though his prayers during those years went unanswered. What, what drew me to his lectures was the way that he spoke of God. And, and, and for him, again, as, as far as I could tell, God seemed as volcanic and as unpredictable and as wild and as untamed as creation itself. I'm going to be honest. I, I, still, I still believe in the revelation of God that we have received through Jesus Christ. I believe that God is ultimately loving in nature. But, but, the revelation of God that I get through the stories that we read this morning uh, and, and the revelation of God that I received through Dr. Wiesel's lectures reminds me that, that God being loving does not mean God is a pushover. God may be loving, but that doesn't mean that God is going to bend to my every wish and desire. I mean, God may be loving, but that doesn't mean God doesn't get angry from time to time. God is, is loving, but that doesn't mean that God isn't wild and crazy, you know, which, in fact, strikes me, is the nature of love. Isn't love, by its very nature, a little wild and crazy? Now, i, I, I got to be honest, I do not want our God to be tameable. I mean, think about it, do you? Do you want God to be tameable? I, I, I don't. I, I don't think I really want God who is a God who is always rational or reasonable either. I don't want God to be some kind of mid-level manager of creation. I don't want God to be that small. I, I want God to be the grand expansive, eternal deity the Bible says God is. I want, I want God to be larger than this life and more expansive than any problem we could ever encounter. I do not. I do not want God to be my domesticated pet. Frankly, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I think it's pretty darn good news. I want to suggest to you this morning that it is great news that God can be a bit wild and crazy and unpredictable. And I, I, want, to, I want to leave you this morning uh, with a concrete example of the benefit. The benefit of God's lack of rationality and predictability. So, so here, I'm going to give it to you. Here is a wild and crazy reality of God. Get this. God thought you were a good idea. 
God thought you were a good idea with all your faults and failings, with all your hidden lusts and desires, with all your history of sin and selfishness. God thought you were a good idea. And me too. Me too. What wild and crazy lack of judgment led God to believe that I was a good idea? And, and uh, you, know, how do you, you know, how do you make sense of Moses? I mean, think about who Moses was. Question God's judgment about that relationship. You know, remember, Moses was a, a murderer who'd ran away from the scene of his crime. How, how was working with a criminal a wise idea? See, I, I think part of Moses' story offers us a deep reflection on who God is and how God acts. You know, the God, the God of our beloved community isn't some infinitely loving sap. No, no, no. God has far more personality than that. See, throughout Moses' story, God says this. God says, you know what? You be you, and I'll be me, and we'll do some pretty darn amazing work together. I am who I am, God says. God says, I am who I am. You will be who you will be. Now let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Boston. Let's go back to school. Let's go back to work. Let's go back home and start changing the world together. I mean, only, only a wild and crazy God could believe that would work. And the good news, it really does. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we, we do have the sense that we'd like you around for our continual blessing. We'd like you to bless us whether we're right or wrong, whether rich or poor, wherever we find ourselves in life, whether we're doing well or whether we're failing, we would like you to bless us. And we recoil when we hear words that might be a little bit convicting. Or God, it may just be human hubris, but, but we don't like being told when we are not on the right track. So we'd like to tailor you and tailor your image in ways that are pleasing to us. But in doing that, Lord, we, we mute your power, your immense power to transform our lives. Lord God, this morning, help us to embrace the reality that we are not in charge of you. No, you are Lord and God of the entire universe, and we come here not to control you, but to worship you and to ask for your movement, your direction, your guidance in our lives until this community that we love becomes the beloved community you dream of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for prayer, I invite you to kneel at the altar rail if it is your tradition to do so. Now let us sing together, Lead Me, Lord.
Almighty, wild and crazy, unpredictable God, joyfully we, re we worship and adore you. As a people of faith, we proclaim you as our shepherd and submit to your leadership and guidance. We proclaim you as the hospitable host with abundant goodness and mercy, offering us sustenance and comfort. For these blessings, we bow before you with praise and thanksgiving. We offer our thanks to you for creating, sustaining, and protecting us. Forgive us, for we have lapsed in our responsibility to sustain and protect your creation. We thank you for deliverance from evil. In the midst of the overwhelming indifference, vitriol, cruelty, and violence in the world today, as a people of faith, we turn our focus to you. Lead us and guide us, Good Shepherd. Give us eyes to see and the discernment to recognize the evil around us. Restore our souls. Give us the voice to speak out and the courage and the will to take action against it. We thank you, merciful God. Your love is steadfast and your faithfulness everlasting. Even though we fall short and stray from you, you don't violate your covenants with us. Dear Lord, we humbly forget, confess our sins and pray for forgiveness. Strengthen us with the power of your spirit so that we may be a reflection of your love. As wars and conflicts continue, we pray for peace. As terrorists develop and implement old and new tactics, we pray for peace. As governments ignore the needs of their people and focus instead on the needs for war, we pray for peace. We pray that our country's leaders, as well as the leaders throughout the world, continue to work together to make progress towards peace. Abide with us. Comfort the sick, the dying, and those who mourn. We know that sorrow is not something we can avoid, but we take comfort in knowing that when we walk through the valley of sorrow, we are not alone. You are there with us. Bless those who hunger for knowledge, acceptance, a kind word, or a helping hand. Strengthen us with the power of your spirit so that we recognize the opportunities we have daily to relieve this hunger. We pray that as your faithful servants, we will step up to be the blessing. Lord, you taught us to pray, and you told us to pray persistently so that we will hear and recognize your voice when you answer. We ask these things in the name of our peace, Jesus Christ, and pray as he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the Nave of Marsh Chapel and hope you will take a moment to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We are happy to welcome Chapin back to the pulpit next Sunday, July 26th. For those of you losing track of time in the midst of a lazy summer, this is a reminder that next Sunday is July 26th. Uh, also, following the service next, sum- next Sunday, uh, we are invite all of you, but especially families with children, to join us. We're going to take a little trip over to Copley Square, where the Handel and Haydn Society will per- be performing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony uh, early in the afternoon. We hope you can join us. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Palestrina's Justitiae Domini. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Blessed are you, O God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts, ourselves, our time, and our possessions. Use us and what we have gathered in feeding the world with your love, through the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Dear friends, keep alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong. Let all that you do, all that you do be done in love now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 